Today's episode is also a video interview. If you want to check it out on YouTube, look up Eric Hunley or just go to youtube.com slash Eric Hunley. There you will find other video interviews and even more special, a live stream where you have an opportunity to chat with previous guests. This week I have coming up James Fallon. He's the professor who discovered that his own brain scans implied that he was a psychopath. Last week, I had Jack Barsky, who was a KGB agent living undercover in the United States for over 10 years. He actually was undiscovered for 16 years and holds a record of the longest undiscovered mole living here. Now for today, I bring you Chris Hadnagy, who is a social engineer extraordinaire. My name is Eric Hundley, and this is Unstructured, where we have dynamic and formal conversations with some amazing people. Today, I'm joined by, I guess you'd say, hacker extraordinaire or social engineer extraordinaire. What I appreciate is this guy does what I think everybody's vulnerable to. Everybody's worried about firewalls and things like that, but he's more likely to walk into your server room and just take your computer out in a bag and put it in his car. How are you doing today, Chris at Nagy? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. Now, Chris, one thing I have to point out, I've done some reading, read your book, did some research, and I've come to a conclusion. What's that? If anybody calls me with the name of Paul, I'm hanging up. I'm sorry. Okay, let me first then apologize to all Pauls, because uh, except except for Paul Asadorian, I don't apologize to him um, at all because he deserves anything he gets. But anyone else that's named Paul, I I apologize for you getting hung up on for the rest of your life. I'm I'm very sorry. And so, what is that? Where did the name come from? Why is you it know, always Paul? It was uh, so interestingly enough, when I was a kid and um, I was a skateboarder, we would uh, uh, constantly skate at uh, places that were illegal and the cops would come. And it was really funny. They would they would come and they would say, give us your name. And each one of us would have a standard set of like three or four names that we would give because they would write these names down in the book. And if they came back to that bank a week later and you would say, <laughs> oh, my name is so and so they looked up in the book. And if you were there twice, you got fined. Uh, and Paul was a name I used, but I just made up different last names. So it was always Paul this, Paul that, Paul this, and that, you know. So it just, I, I just kind of, uh, it kind of just stuck. Paul and Logan were my two names that I used. Uh, there's a little tidbit for you that not many people know. I use Logan all the time and Paul, and then they became just standard names. So when I got into this career, I used those names as part of my pretext. Now, I asked that because I have undercover FBI agents on. And they actually tend to use their actual first names. Yeah. Because it's very easy to screw up. Yep. And if you're walking along and they say, hey, Paul, hey, Paul, are you going to respond naturally? Yeah. Especially and that, when you're And that's a great point. So I tell people that work for me all the time that the only time you should use a fake name is if it is something that you react to. And, and fortunately for me, those two names I've used so much through my life that I actually do react to them. Um, so it's, it's, it's made that a little easier, but I do agree with you hundred percent. I would not use a name like Charles or Eric because I've never, <laughs> never used those names. So if I started saying, Hey, I'm Eric. And then you said, Hey, Eric, I would be like looking away not wondering, I'd wondering who you're talking to. Exactly. And that's always a worry. And they even get to the point where they try to have the same number of syllables in their <laughs> fake last name. Well, because it, you want it to sort yep. of rhyme or just feel the like... The cadence. Yeah, the cadence makes a big difference in our in our memories. Yeah. You know, if I was going to use a different name, I might pick Aaron as an mm -hmm. example, just because it, it's close enough that I'm like, huh? Yeah. But now you... I'm trying to figure out your career trajectory. You've been at this, it seems, since the 90s. Yeah, so career direct tra trajectory is an interesting question. Um, wow, not one that many people ask me when it when it comes to interviews. Um, you were a chef. I was. So when I started off, like young young person, you know, mm. like normal young person, did everything. I mean, I I made surfboards, I delivered pizzas, I you know did whatever the heck I I could do to make money. And then um, 
you know, I, I found out I had this knack for talking my way into getting jobs. So when I was uh, 17, I was the vice landlord for an apartment complex because I was delivering papers to this guy's office and he was depressed and he was talking about family problems. And I listened to him. And at the mm. end of the conversation, I said, hey, why don't you go take care of your family? I'll stay here and run your business. And I don't know why the heck he said yes, but he did. And at 17, I was the vice landlord for this 25-unit apartment complex. Hmm. And then a year later, he said, I don't want to come back. Can you sell it? I'm like, I don't know how to sell anything. He's like, can you learn? I read a book on sales. I sold his apartment complex for a couple million dollars. Hmm. Um, it was at that point, I'm like, wow, this is kind of interesting. You know, um, now, I got that? into – that was, oh, boy. Well, I don't know. If I tell you, I don't know. I, I was 17. So at the same time, I was in college and I wrote a war dialer, which right. I did not know. Right. I wasn't malicious back in the day, back in the day. OK, now I sound really old. Hey, hacking, back hacking. In we back in the day, we wrote code uphill both ways. You know, it, we weren't trying to ruin things. So I wrote this program that dialed a phone number. It played a series of um, of tones that told mm. the phone to shut itself off for a couple minutes. And then hung up and dialed another number. And I threaded it through two 2,400 baud modems. Oh, yeah, that tells you some serious speed there. And had like 16 numbers dialed per modem uh, per per like 10 seconds. And I shut down a county's phone system. I was going to say, did what end? Why? um, What was the objective of the dialer? I don't know. It was, was, can I do this? Can I actually shut Uh off? A, a phone system, but not thinking it would literally shut the system down, <laughs> thinking that people would get busy numbers, you know, busy signals for a few minutes and then it would come back. Little did I know it was it, it, it shut down the county's phone system. So, so it's a denial came, of service on a phone system. Yes. Yeah. Very early denial of service. Cops came to the college. Um, they asked who did it. I said it was me because at the time, again, no laws. And they went, yep, that was bad. Don't do that again. And I went, nope, I won't. And then they left. And the dean said, uh, we're embarrassed. That was terrible. Get out. And I left and went, wow, this is interesting. I want to know more. So from that point, you know, interested in computers, but didn't see a future. Um, so then, you know, I did sales. I sold insurance. I sold, you know, whatever. I became a programmer. I became a chef, as you mentioned. Um, and then I got back into IT and became the security admin and uh, server administrator for this um uh, company that made stainless steel products and um, and talked my way into becoming a negotiator for stainless steel in India and China for this company and was traveling mm. the globe negotiating stainless steel prices, which is just the most ridiculous job on the planet, and got bored and then um, went and got a job doing um, vulnerability assessments. From there, met offensive security. Took the uh, pen testing with backtrack courses, it was called back then, um, and got a job with OffSec and was their uh, ops manager for a few years and then started Social Engineer LLC. So I've been doing that for 11 years now. Now, you had mentioned that um, you were developing a course and essentially your course development turned into online material, social-engineer.org, if I recall, and that... Was it Wiley who discovered you? One of the publishers yeah, discovered yeah. it and reached out to you. And you mentioned it was uh, Mitnick's publisher. Yeah. So at the time, uh, Mitnick's publisher. So I, I, had, I had decided to write a course for SE. Uh, Maddie said, you can't write a course without a framework. And there was no frameworks online anywhere for social engineering. There was the pen testers framework, but nothing to do with SE. So I developed a framework based on my library of books and went through them and said, here's the skills I used. Um, when the framework came out, I just, you know, I was a hacker. I wasn't really thinking about, you know, doing much else. So I, I didn't plan on writing a book or anything. Um, Mitnick's publisher had saw the framework, reached out to me and said, would you write a book on social engineering? And I said, no, <laughs> like I'm not an author. No, thanks, but no, thanks. And, um, you know, didn't, didn't, didn't end up taking that deal at first. And then Maddie was like, you know, you're stupid. Call her back, write that book. So I did, called her back, ended up writing that book that is Social Engineering, The Art of Human Hacking, which I tell everyone, do not read it. If you haven't, don't read it. It's not a good book. Read the newest version. Read The uh, Science of Human Hacking. It's uh, 11 years updated and has much more science in it and uh, has not many errors like the first edition. 
but wrote that book, and I got to give that book some credit because it was due to that book that my business started. Mm-hmm. So when that book came out, I had companies calling me and saying, hey, you know, you want to consult with us for SE? And I was like, yeah, sure, I'd love to. And um, at the time, you know, I, I, you know I, I'm, I'm not saying this as a humble brag or anything. This is just the way it went. There was no industry surrounding social engineering. So I was figuring out how do I charge people? What what do I charge? How do I do this? And I was just winging it. I was like literally finger in the wind and going, you know, I think this sounds like a good price. And people be like, OK, you know, we'll try it. And I'm like, what? You know, and I got my landed my first giant contract with the bank um, and ended up working with them, uh, still working with them for years and years and years. And that started my company. And um, it was just me in my living room. Uh and then now we have 16 employees and we're, you know, solely focused on social engineering still. Uh, everything from the physical side to fishing, fishing, smishing, all the all the other in-betweens. And, yeah, it's been a wild ride. Well, I'm a um, former guest of the show and I'm a huge fan of the guys, Christopher Lockhead. And he writes about and, prof- and preaches something called category creation. Mm. And that is actually what you did is you found your own category. And the ideal about a category creator is the category king or queen will own about 80% of the market in a given category because they own it. And what he teaches is don't be better, be different. Interesting. I actually really like that. Thank you. Because I, oftentimes people have asked, they said, you know, do you, do you think you're the best at it? And I constantly meet people. I mean, I have people that work for me mm-hmm. that are better at the very skills that I created as a service. So I have mm-hmm. a couple services that don't exist anywhere else on earth, and we do them here. And I brought people and trained them, and they blow me out of the water doing those things. I'm not the best at it. I mean, I got some people that work here now that are just mind-blowing at how good they are at the skills that, that I that I. I taught, I said, Hey, here, I'm going to teach you how to do this. And they take it and they go poof in their stratosphere, you know, and I'm still sitting here going, wow, what the heck? I didn't even think you could do that thing. Same with the SECTF at DEF CON. I'm constantly sitting there amazed and going, wow, that was new. I never saw someone do that. I'm going to steal that, you know, and, mm-hmm. and take something as a skill set. So I love what you just said, because that is true. It's not always about being the best. It's just being different and at the time. There was nobody that was solely focused on social engineering. And I, I got a, a funny story on that. I remember, um, you know, I was working for Offsec. I was doing some side work and I, and I had this, this business idea to do solely SE. So I come home and I say to my wife, um, look, I want to do this thing. I want to start a company. I want to call it social engineer. I want to focus only on social engineering and, and just, you know, I want to have a business that does just this human side of security. And she goes, okay. Um, how many people are doing it and how much money do they make? And I said, well, um, I can't answer the second question because <laughs> I don't know how much they make because we would be the only ones doing it. And she goes, well, then how do you know it's going to be successful? And I said, I absolutely don't. I said, I have no clue. Uh, I said, I just want to try it. I have like this feeling that I think it's going to work. And, you know, she said, can I, can I, can I think about it? And she did. And I still to this day, I have like the best wife on the planet. There, I don't know why she supported me. Um, and she's like, yeah, let's, let's try it. Let's try it together. Let's do it. And, you know, we went, launched it and man, I've, I've never looked back. I mean, I'm still to this day, kind of wake up and pinch myself and go, and I do this for a living. Like I get, I get paid to do this. (laughs) Well, that's awesome. And maybe you were the first case of actually selling it as a service. Now I read the book about Mitnick Kevin Mitnick, and I really should say Kevin Mitnick so we can identify him. (laughs) And I would consider him probably the first widely known social engineer criminal. Yeah, I mean, if you want to go back further, you can do like Victor Victor Lustwig. He was a con man that sold the Eiffel Tower. He sold the Brooklyn Bridge. He conned Mm -hmm. Al Capone. You know, we can look and say that those were some original SEs. But when you want to talk about like human hacking from a technological standpoint, Mm -hmm. Mitnick is the granddaddy, right? Um, and, and, and we all look to his example, like anyone in this field looks to his example. The difference was that he wasn't doing it as a service. And I don't even think knowing Kevin now, like, I mean, I'm actually friends with him. He's not a malicious guy. I don't think he was doing what he did back in the day to hurt people. He was curious. He had that hacker curiosity Mm -hmm. 
and he wanted to learn how these you know new fandangled you know cell phones worked sure. and he just used his skills to to do that and then once it became a cat and mouse game where he was fleeing from the FBI and he was able to listen in on their conference calls i think then it stepped you know over that line a little and, arrogance uh, yeah yeah and he got caught and then you know the the bad part is is how the government handled that afterward, like convincing a judge that he could whistle the codes for nuclear missiles, and he gets locked in uh, solitary confinement for a year. Uh, mm-hmm. That's horrific, but you know no one deserves that. But uh, yeah, I would agree with you. Kevin is one of the originators when it comes to understanding how human hacking works from you know on technology and and used against technological companies. Yeah, and I want to run that by you actually because really. Um, First, there's a couple things. There's blue team, red team, black hat, white hat. That gets kind of confusing. Yeah. I'm guessing that uh, blue team and white hat are synonymous. Yeah, so blue team is the people in your company who are protecting your company. Okay. So a blue team is like those folks who are there. Now, white hat um, is someone who uses hacking skills like a pen tester but doesn't step over that line into gray or black. Right. So they're actually the people who attack. But they do it for good reasons. You know, it's kind of like the difference between um, a surgeon and and a murderer. You know, a surgeon people. Yeah, bug bounty people. They're searching for bugs, but they're not doing it to humiliate the company. Mm -hmm. Pen testers are white hats. Right. Like I consider myself a white hat because I hack humans and I hack organizations and I break into them. But I do it for the right reasons. I do it Mm -hmm. because they pay me to. And also because I'm trying to protect you where a blue team is inside the company and their job is to keep the hackers out. They're there to protect Um, where the gray hats are on the good side, but they don't have a problem stepping over that line every now and then for the better good. And then black hats are the guys who are on the other side of the fence, right? They're the guys who don't care about the morals or the scruples and they just, they accomplish their goals at any cost. Well, you can be a little bit of a gray hat when it comes to the innocent lies foundation. Yeah, so that's that's a great delimiter. So um, when when you look at that line, like for a corporate client, let's say with Social Engineer LLC, we're white hat completely, right? Because we we follow a scope, we have rules, we don't we don't break the law, we don't step over that line. Our goal is to is to protect you and help you, even if that means that we don't always do everything that a bad guy would do. Like sometimes people ask that question, well, wouldn't a nation state do this? Yes, but. I'm not going to go kidnap your teenage daughter to teach sure, you a lesson, sure. right? I mean, that, that I'm not going to traumatize a human so I can teach you that right. you're vulnerable. Um, with ILF, those those lines are blurred because now my target is a person who is actively preying on a child. My target is a person who's hurting a child or profiting from the, the hurt of a child. So now my lines, I don't really care about your feelings as much as a predator for the predator. Your mm-hmm. feelings aren't my utmost concern. So if your feelings get hurt while I'm searching for you, I don't care. And you might actually enjoy it, depending on what kind of creep it is. <laughs> I won't. I won't say that publicly. Not on, not while we're recording. But you know, you won't deny possible. it either. <laughs> I won't. I, I cannot confirm or deny the allegations set before me. <laughs> well, that runs by a question that I um, was thinking about when I, especially I was listening to your techniques and everything. And you're a pretty good guy. You have a family and a conscience, and you worry about stuff. I Try. would speculate that you have an easy time conning people for your job because you know you're a good guy hmm. if you were actually doing this with an ill intent intent maybe your conscience would bother you i like that thinking you know so uh, this happens when we hire new people so new people come in and we put them on vishing right so now they're calling these companies and they're getting these people to tell them their deepest darkest secrets their you know mm-hmm. passwords social security numbers and and they feel really guilty and um, and my help with them, my discussion with my new people is always to think about the purpose. Right. So if the end goal was that we were going to hack Eric and then Eric was going to get humiliated at his company and they were boss was going to come in and go, ha ha, look how dumb you are. Yeah, mm-hmm. you should feel a little guilty. But if the end goal is, hey, let's teach Eric. Hey, man, we just we, we you got this call the other day. He said he was Paul from I.T. He wasn't Paul from IT. He was actually this dude named Chris. And that damn Paul. You, you know, yeah, Paul, you know, that guy. And <laughs> and let me give you some education on how you could not fall for this. Now, if you think – if you reframe it where you say, I'm here to help Eric. I want to help Eric be a better person. I want to help him be more secure. I want to help him be better for his family, his job, his, his, you know, his parents, his kids. Now, all of a sudden, you feel good about doing your job. 
So I think what you said is pretty accurate because because I know that my goals are altruistic. I know that I'm here to help people. That doing my job is I, I compare it to you know of course less um, education and skill, but I compare it to a surgeon. You know, a surgeon may really enjoy the thrill of cutting a person open, but it's not because they're sadistic and they enjoy hurting people. Mm-hmm. They want to cut that person open to help them. So I really enjoy the human hacking, but I do it because I know at the end of the day, I'm helping the persons that I hack. And not because I enjoy the thrill of watching you be humiliated or shamed. It's so a it's, game, though. It's a game. Yeah, I certainly mean, is. You're 100%. playing cops and robbers with a license. 100%. Hundred percent. I mean, we break in the places when, when we were allowed to travel. We break in the places that are armed, and that is a real that is a game. You know, we are breaking into a place and hoping to God we don't get shot. You know, there, it is it is a it is a serious game. Many times we are hacking a company, and we need you to fall for our scam so we can hack your company. So yeah, it's a it's a game. Now I'm going to jump around again because you're that's fine. We like unstructured. Team. <laughs> yeah. Hey, remember the name of the show? I gotta, oh, wow. How, how unique. <laughs> got to drive that point in. I'd like to know um, from your friend, Robin Drake, how is it you got emotionally hijacked in the first class you guys taught together in Seattle? And you did do your research. Okay. So um, I had a student um, that decided in the middle of class to, uh, when we, we were talking about framing, we were talking about framing in class. We were talking about um, how framing can be used for good or bad. And he says, oh, I have an example of framing. And I always encourage students to like, you know, speak up, talk out loud. And he said, um, it's, it's kind of like how the Jews made up the Holocaust. And I went, whoa, like, and I have a friend. He's passed now because he was older, but he was in a mm-hmm. concentration camp. I saw the tattoo on his arm. Sure. I, I know that it was real. He told mm-hmm. me stories of what they did to him there. Uh, mm-hmm. That wasn't made up. You know, there was that. You can go to Germany. You can see them. Uh, it, it, it appalled me that in a room full of other people that he didn't know, that even if he thought it was humorous, even if he thought it was just a joke, that he would joke about something, that there's a good likelihood that someone in that classroom had a friend or family member who sure. died by the hand of the Nazis. So to say that was – I. I allowed my emotions to get the best of me and I got hijacked and all I saw was anger and I reacted angry and it was, it was just bad. And Robin, thank God for Robin because he saw it. He saw the whole body language change. He saw my hands go from open ventrals to closed. He saw the, he saw it and he said, okay, 15 minute break. And he pulled me out of the classroom and he's like, okay, Chris, we got to talk, you know, like, and he's like, you, you know, I saw what happened. That guy was wrong. We should pull him aside. We should tell him it was inappropriate. We should tell him if he says it again, he's going to be asked to leave. But you cannot lose the whole class by letting your anger get the best of you. And it was a huge lesson for me because he was saying you are justified in your anger. Your mm. feelings are OK. You were actually righteous in your anger, but acting on it is going to hurt everybody. And for me, that was a massive lesson because he wasn't saying, hey, don't feel that way. You know, you're you're dumb for feeling that way. He was saying you're okay to feel that way, but you have to control how you act on it. And for me now, going back, this is 11 years, 11 year old, 11 year ago. Chris was like, whoa, that was mind blowing. Like, wait. So today, like, you know, we see all this anger and stuff happening on the Internet. And it's like, you know what? Yeah, okay, maybe you're justified in feeling the way you do, but control how you react. What a massive lesson that was. Just because you're righteous in your anger doesn't mean you have righteousness in the way you act. And right? Robin and thought, is awesome. He awesome. He learned I, that lesson early on. Yep. And uh, I read about it in his book, and it really yeah. stood out to me yeah. because he had like buttered up somebody, and he was all like me, 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 me to um, one of the people he was trying to recruit. And the guy's like, "Yeah, uh, I'll see you at uh, you know, whatever time." And yep. he didn't show up. And then his supervisor or partner told him, "Yeah, well, he kind of made it all about you, so he didn't show yep. up." And it, you know what? Don't beat yourself up on it because then it's all about you still. I love that. That's a great and, story. And what's good about Robin, what I really appreciate about him as a teacher, a mentor for me, was that we reacted similarly for different reasons. Right. Mm-hmm. So so he was able to take a lesson from his life where it was me, 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 me and apply mm-hmm. it to me where I wasn't doing that. But I was allowing my emotion to get the best of me in an angry situation. So. 
my um, issues are not like Robin's where it's always me, 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 but I let my, I let strong emotion sure. take over and it makes me react sometimes in a way that could be negative for the group I'm in. So Robin seeing that was able to take his life lesson and go, Hey man, you know, chill out, act that's, differently. And that's I'm like, awesome. That's great. Then that brings me to a point because you had mentioned how he's kind of a mentor to you. And, you know, like Chris Lockhead, who I brought up earlier, is practically a mentor to me. You seem to have some really strong mentors. Like you have Robin Drake and you have Dr. Paul Ekman. How did you meet Robin? Because he was still in the FBI just going by the years. Yeah. When you met him, what introduced <laughs> you? How did you establish yeah. a relationship? So um, I met Robin through another mentor of mine, which is Joe Navarro. So oh, I met Joe's. I met Joe Navarro on the podcast and I worked really hard to get him to say yes. And he came on the podcast and we were talking about rapport. And during the conversation, he said to me, you know, you need to meet a friend of mine named Robin. I'm not sure if he can talk to you because he's still part of the FBI, but you sound so much like him. Hmm. Um, so finished the interview, nagged Joe to hook me up with uh, Robin and he introduced <laughs> me through email. And then when uh, Joe introduced me, uh, Robin said, well, we got to get the FBI to give permission to do the interview. And that was our first SC gig together was hmm. to get permission um, from the FBI for him to come on my podcast. So we, we worked an email together, a letter, and we got approval. Um, and Robin was like, hey, you're good at this. And I'm like, thanks, man. Had him on the podcast was amazing. We we made the letter so um, um, general that Broad, the approval yeah. blanketed so he can come on multiple times. Oh, nice. Right. And we made it so general that he was able to then come and train with me. So Ooh. our ask was that Robin was able to do all sorts of stuff with me, not just one podcast. As long as so he didn't charge. That And I, I can give him donations. I can, you know, be generous with a gift, but um, I, but he wasn't, you know, he wasn't charging me. So that was perfectly fine. And uh, Robin and I worked together for a, a few years. And then um, as he left the FBI, as you know, he joined the ILF as part of the board. Uh, now he has a very successful company doing training. And uh, he was part of the Human Hacking Conference last year, mm -hmm. and we're still friends. Uh, we talk all the time, and, you know, he's just been one of those great mentors, um, you know, along the list of what you said, like Joe and, and Robin and Paul, and just been really great mentors for me. Well, and you had said, okay, I'm not the best at this and that, right? And I feel like that maybe you and I have a similarity there, too, in the sense that you're a connector. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I, I try, you know, because right now, like, what I do with my – employees is I try to put them together with people that will benefit them through, from the community, from the from the relationships that I built. Um, mm -hmm. You know, the podcast, what I've used as a part of my podcast is getting to know the folks that I interview, um, not just as people I interview, but as friends to get to know them, to learn from them. Sure. I have this really good friend. His name is Tok McIntosh, and he's a he's a famous jazz musician. He's really, really old right now. But I remember sitting him sitting with him once and and asking him, I said, Tom, how did you get so good at what you do? Because like literally that guy could pick up a trombone and he just makes the most unbelievable music come out. It's just it's just amazing. And he said, every person I've ever met in my career that played this instrument, I asked for a lesson. I said, can you take 60 seconds and teach me one thing? And I said, mm. but Tom, what if what if that person stinks? Like, what if they're not good? What if they're worse than you? And he That's said, and then he said, I learned what not to do. And I'm like, that's genius. And I took that away. Now, I was much younger when I got that lesson from him. I took that away and I said, I'm going to do that. I'm going to learn from every person I meet. And maybe I'll learn. I'm not going to ever act like that guy. Like I learned something from that dude in my class. Mm. I learned something. Mm. I learned two things. I learned one, that that kind of humor is inappropriate in a setting. I also learned that that kind of humor makes a visceral reaction in some people. So I learned a lesson from him. Right. Even though I didn't ask for him to teach me one, I learned one. And if you look at life, the people you meet, as you're able to learn these amazing lessons from everyone that you meet, then you can walk away from any interaction, even if it's negative and go, hey, I got something from that. Well, there's even more to it. I mean, OK, we're get into um, body language. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. All that good stuff. My, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, um, he, human behavior. But what you are in essence doing is applying the Ben Franklin effect. Explain that. I don't know that one. Okay, that's um, it's an old one. Ben Franklin. There was another congressman that hated his guts. He couldn't. You know, they did not get along well. And Ben Franklin went up to him and said, "You know, I heard you have this amazing library collection. Do you happen to have this book? I would really like 
the opportunity to read. The guy lent him the book, and it established a wonderful relationship because the guy did him a favor, which established a baseline that he did Ben Franklin favors. Ah, that's great. I love it. So now you can say, I've done Ben Franklin some favors. Yes, but when you go and ask somebody for an assist or suspension of ego is how you put it in your book, yep. you are in essence doing this. You're yeah. learning from them. And because they did give you this knowledge or they pass it on, it they take you under their wing a little bit. Yeah, that's great. That's a great lesson. You know, it's interesting when you said that as you were talking, I'm reflecting on uh, some people who I've worked with over the years and some people are on my team now. And that's how they've approached even getting employed here. And it's worked so well against me. Right. And I don't mean that in a bad way. It's not like an attack, but it's worked no. so well against me in the sense of. I really connect with that person and in a good way and want to, to make them the best they can be because sure. of because of that that attitude that you just said. Well, there's a second one, too, and maybe I'm old fashioned, but it kind of comes after my father. I will give to anyone. But what pleases me most is when I see that they use the ah, action I gave. Yeah, them. yeah, yeah. So 100 percent. That's so validating. Yes. Automatically, if I tell somebody, try this. <laughs> and they do actually try it, and yep. then they come back to me. Okay, I'll yeah. give you another lesson. Yeah, even if or even if they did try it genuinely and it didn't work for them, I'm still thankful that what I said actually had value to them. Yep, and I think that's what helps establish your relationship because if you take the time and you give them advice and they bother to actually listen and do it, well. That's a respect. Yeah, I agree. And I'm sure you've had the opposite effect. Many yeah. People who ask you, well, how do you blah, blah, blah? Yeah, I've, I've had it from both the serious and the non-serious. I've, I mean, we get probably two, three, five emails a week that are like, how how I, I hack Facebook. I get I get that one the most, you know, how, how I hack Facebook. My girlfriend locked me out of her account. How do I hack her account? I, you know, I get those all the time and I'm you know never going to re reply to those. But on a more serious level, we get people who um, who want to come work here or want to learn or want to mentor, want to be mentored, mm -hmm. and their motives are not altruistic. They're very self-centered, right. or their ambition is so high. And I'm not, I'm not against ambition. I want all my people to here to have ambition, but their ambition sure. is so high they're willing to step on the necks of others to advance. Right. And those people are short-lived here. They just don't make it in our company because we try to foster this thing you just said, this attitude of where you can get better by picking up all your teammates and helping them be better. And those who do that are those who are here for long periods of time, those who will advance here, those who will have a career here forever, and those who will be great at this industry, whether they stay here or not, whether they move on or not, they'll be great at this industry. But those who just need to succeed regardless of what they do to others – you may be good at SE. I know some people like this. They're really sure. good at social engineering. Um, but I can't imagine it's going to be a long-lived career or or a validating career because at right. the end of the day, someday you're going to wake up and go, wow, I hurt a lot of people to get where I'm at today. And that's got to feel bad. And if it doesn't, then I really worry about your moral compass. If yeah, it doesn't hurt you at path? some point. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, seriously. Are you? Are you? Because if, you, that, if it doesn't hurt you, if it doesn't make you wonder – um, what kind of a person you are, then you may really need to reconsider your, your career path. You know, <laughs> your field does attract them though. And it does yeah. attract, if not sociopathic, a lot of people in the spectrum. And there you know, are some, I get that question things. a lot. Yeah. I didn't mean to cut you off. I'm sorry. Don't go I'm sorry. No. I, I, I get that question a lot because it's actually something that really fascinates me. People ask like, well, do sociopathic or psychopathic tendencies help you in this field? And, and I will say it depends on your goal. Do you want to be a social engineer that's black hat or do you want to be a professional? So if you want to be a professional, sociopathic tendencies will not help you because empathy is the one thing that will help you be great at this job. If you want to be amazing at this job as a career, then you you have empathetic response and you help um, others to to become better, to become more secure, to realize what an attack feels like. That gives you your validation that you need, whether you succeed or fail, as in you break in or not. 
But a sociopath may be really good at social engineering, sure. but they don't ever see the value of the person getting better. So I feel like, you know, I, I've know, I know some in the industry who all they care about is their, their success. They don't care about how it makes other people feel. They don't care about how, how it embarrasses other people. They don't care about – they laugh when other people get hacked. They're like, oh, look how dumb they are. They use the phrase, no patch for human stupidity. It makes everyone feel dumb for falling for these things. Sure. It, it, it's not It's not um, – that kind of lack of empathy doesn't make you better at this job. It may make you a good social engineer but not a good professional social engineer. Well, you in essence as a social engineer are trying to build a relationship Yes. You personally. Yep. And those people are trying to crack and get yeah. in and get out. They are not trying to build a long-term relationship. They're very happy to burn a bridge because yep. it doesn't matter. And Did they it, fulfill their current yep. goal, yes or no? Yep. And it's about ego. Sure. It's about sure. ego, right? So if, I, if, if my goal in this job is to make sure I win, I don't care about your feelings. I don't care about it. Well, I'm going to name drop again because it's his, um, shall we say, signature line. But Chase Hughes, we rise by lifting others. Yeah. Is kind of what you were talking about earlier. Chase is great. And I'm cheating into a segue because I said, hey, I'm going to be on with um, Chris. And he pointed out a question that's so obvious that I should ask, but I had forgotten. What are some COVID scams that we've got to look out for right now? Yeah, so um, so there's a couple of big ones, right? So so huge huge scam right now is with the with the checks everyone's expecting the the government checks that are coming. Mm-hmm. So they've been delayed. They're not coming on time. And right now we're at what six and a half million people applied for unemployment. Um, depending on the state you live in, some people haven't even got their unemployment checks yet. There are people in desperation. I mean. Not everybody can work from home. Not everyone has a home-based company. So there are people who are suffering right now financially. They get a call from someone. They pick up their phone. It says U.S. government. It says IRS. Answer the phone. Hey, um, you know, they say, oh, uh, we have your your government check here. We want to get it to you. We need details. Bam. And they're getting Mm -hmm. uh, bank account details. They're getting uh, social security numbers. They're verifying home address. They're verifying email. They're getting information to line them up for further attack. Um, another huge one that's happening is they're calling old folks and they're saying uh, you can pre-order your COVID-19 at home test. Uh, we, you know, it's like 29 bucks. Yeah, give us your credit card number, and they're getting their credit card number, uh, or they're getting banking details. Um, another one for small businesses with the PPP program, right? The, the Paycheck Protection Program. They're they're calling small businesses and saying, "Hey, we're calling from the government. Uh, we want to help you with your paperwork. Uh, so, you know, we just need some information from you." And they're getting all sorts of personal details, including bank account information. Um, these are just three of the many. And right now, there's some smishing attacks going out that are saying, "You know, your check's on the way. Click here to track it." Kind of thing. Uh, there's just so many attacks happening right now because of the pandemic. And there are people in desperation. I mean, mm-hmm. like they're not they're looking at their bank account and it's approaching zero. And they're like, I don't know how I'm going to live. And when you get that call that says maybe money's coming, you kind of shut everything else down. And you're like, I'll I'll take you know, I'll, I'll, I'll take the risk. I had another guest on Morgan Wright and he had another one. I want to pile it here so everybody can hear that. Yeah. And his was, you'll get an email or something saying that somebody you have been in contact with is co- is positive. Yeah. Click this link to find out who. Yeah. And and not only that, I actually saw this being used as a corporate fish. I can't even imagine. Can you imagine taking the the fear that everyone has in this sure. pandemic and you and trying to use it as part of an education program or what if you lost a family member what mm-hmm. if your grandma died because of covid and now you're sitting in your company's email box and you get a test fish and oh, your wow. first reaction is oh man my grandma just died from that and you click the link to make sure it's not one of your family members or friends that you eat lunch with or whatever i mean it's just appalling you know it's just to, to to see that fish at all is horrific, but to see it used by corporate America to train others is even worse. You are not teaching people. You are just playing on their worst fears. Which is disturbing. And it's not completely surprising, though, because, again, there are people – I also work in IT, if you hadn't yeah. guessed. Yeah. 
And we have peers that they just don't think that way. It's not even a deliberate thing. And I'm not going to say that they're on the spectrum or social or anything. They're just, they really don't think about it. They're not. It's kind of like they're a 10 year old kid in maturity and they just go, Oh, I bet this will work. And they're right. I've heard people say it. I've heard people say it. Well, shouldn't we test them the way that they're going to be tested? I'm like, no, because, and I use this and I know it's a horrific example, but the bad guys will come and they'll kidnap your kids. So should I do that too? Right. Should, should, should I steal your child and, and threaten to kill them so you give me the password? Should I do that during our next pen test? Because the bad guys will do that. No, you don't want me to. You want, we want to break into your house and terrorize your family because the bad guys will do it and nation state will do that. Right. You know, would you like me to, to put a camera into your house and film intimate moments and then use that as blackmail? Because the bad guys will do that. No, we can't do everything just because the bad guys do it. You know, my, sure. my motto is, yes, you have to play the bad guys, but remember you're the good guy. So can I talk about it? Can I say, hey, guys, right now there's a huge fish going around and they're telling you, like you just said, look, see who in your neighborhood has COVID-19. Click here. Can you tell people that's occurring? Can you send an example out like as as a screenshot? Say, hey, this fish is going around, but don't use it as a test. Can you warn them with it? Right. Warn them, but don't test them with it. Right. Now, a lot of your testing, I imagine, and maybe I'm wrong, but I'm guessing it's on the level of, oh, boy, you got me. That's really embarrassing. But it's not humiliating. No, we, we, we work really hard to never humiliate anyone. Now, you know, when we're talking about corporate education versus pen testing, there's a difference, right? So corporate education, we like, let's just say you, you may you may uh, we may say something like um, uh, we haven't used this, but let's 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 use one that that may be not as as dangerous. You know, the CDC put out new rules for travel with uh, COVID-19. You know, click mm. here to see those rules. That's not fear inducing. That's something that right. may get a curiosity click. So people mm. may like that. I'd be OK with someone using that. But saying, you know, um, you know, we saw you were on a recent flight. Some people in your flight have uh, tested positive. See who. That's you just you just induced massive fear in a, in a person, you know, so you, you can't do that. And the goal for for uh, corporate phishing programs can never be humiliation and firing. So let's say right. we prove you're terrible. You click on everything. So we fire you and then we replace you with Joe is jo- Joe's a human. Last I checked. So Joe's sure. going to be just as vulnerable as you. You know, it's, it's let's educate you first. Let's work with you. If you're reluctant to be educated, if you're reluctant to to take mm-hmm. the education, now maybe we need to talk about your employment here. But let's first try before we just blanketly say get rid of Eric because he failed at this test. Let's let's try to fix the problem first. Well, and most people in life, um, I'll speak for myself, but you get burned. You know, once burned, twice shy. Yeah. So if you're testing them. A lot of them are never going to make that mistake again because they got humiliated. Another thing I noticed, though, is you um, have things like free iPhones. And I hate to say it, but that one feels fine because it ta- it's greed. Yeah, so you're you're, you're feeding yep. off of somebody's yep. greed. And I hate to say it, but, you know, we need to be spanked a little bit if we get grady. Well, the, the issue with, with those, uh, the, the good part with those are is so you can take greed in two levels. I'll give you I'll give you a good one. We use the free iPhone all the time because mm-hmm. at the end, when someone finds out it was a fish, they don't go, oh, man, like you got me. I'm so embarrassed. I'm humiliated. They were like, wow, that was a good one. Right. Whereas greed, let's say we and this has happened. We found someone on a uh, on a hookup site using their corporate email. Mm-hmm. Um it would be terrible to now fish that person as Beth from your high school. I'd love to hook right. up with you when you're traveling to you know, New Orleans next week. Uh, that would be a horrible um, fish because now when he finds out it was a test fish, he's humiliated. He's embarrassed. He, he, his his uh, lust and, and greed got in the best of him. And how do, you, how do you live that down as a company? You know, in your company? It's so, dangerous too. Because it's dangerous. Yeah. W- while you're doing it, by the way, Maybe he goes home and says, you know what? I This is the last fight I ever had. And screw you, I'm leaving. And that so is your a little great fish point. has not broken marriage. And That's a great point. You don't even, you don't think about it. But it's I like, had this scenario once. We, we had somebody who wanted, who, who, you know, and this happened at DEF CON, but I'll talk about the corporate level, who threatened uh, firing somebody, um, acted like they were the boss, threatened to fire someone. And there was some serious reprimand because it's like, now think about this. What if that person 
they are six months late on their mortgage. Their sure. marriage is broken up. Their kids are, are not doing well. There's illness at home. And now they go home Friday afternoon and they think that they're going to get fired Monday morning. What if they go home and commit suicide? Oh, yeah. Or what if I they mean, come to work go, with a gun? Right. You cannot use something that puts someone's psychology on the edge of desperation. You can't. Not if you are a good guy. If you're a good guy in this field, if you're the white hat, if you're here to help, you can't do it. It would be just as unethical as a doctor walking in the room and telling you you're dead next week unless you take this 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 pill or unless you take this surgery. You're dead next week just to get them to take your your latest greatest drug or your or your service. You can't do it. So we 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 ha- that yeah we have to be very cautious with how we utilize those 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 pretexts. Well, before we wrap things up, I wanted to first off say or ask you, you've got a book, Hacking Humans, hopefully coming out early next year. Man, how do you, you know everything. Yeah. <laughs> you really did do your research. You look good at Oakset. Yes, I do. Um, so um, 2021, um, I, I, we are finishing the book now, but I'm super excited about this. So I got signed by HarperCollins. Um, to write a book that is basically a collection of the skills that I've um, uh, that I've built, taught, and 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 kind of tried my hardest to perfect over the last decade, mm-hmm. but then take those skills out of the element of security, and how can they be used every day just by the average person mm-hmm. to be the best you you can be, to become a great communicator, to become an empathetic person, to become someone who can help your friends and family. Uh, through trials and, and problems. And that um, that idea came about uh, about a, two years ago, and I'd never thought it would come to life. And then, again, one of my mentors, Joe Navarro, helped me uh, mm-hmm. get, get connected with, uh, with a guy who, who heard the idea and said, this is great. We should try to get this. And we landed it at HarperCollins, and I'm working with an amazing uh, ghostwriter that's, that's taking all of the things up here, which is mm. very unstructured, there you are again, and chaotic, and putting them into really intelligent words. And I'm just so proud of this book. It's just, it's, um, I'm reading it and going, wow, this is actually going to help people. It's going to, even if it helps one person, this is good. This is really cool. Well, it makes me think you're trying to put something out like a Cialdini's influence or, yeah. I mean, that changed a lot of lives, not yeah. just sales or yeah, even, it's, uh, it, Robin Drake's code. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a fascinating uh, analogy. Actually. It's funny that when I got asked by my ghostwriter, what books influenced you? Like what books were ones that you would look at and say, if you can do that. And I'm like, well, of course, you know, um, uh, how to, how to win, how to win flames and influence people, you know, Covey. And then looking at, um, at Drake's books. But then I said, man, Cialdini, it was pivotal because nothing had been done like that in the history mm-hmm. of mankind. Nobody studied influence. Nobody scientifically dissected influence. And I'm like, on the same level, when Ekman wrote uh, Emotions Revealed, no one had dissected nonverbals to that level. I'm like, so right. if I can take both of those, and I said, and what I love about Cialdini and Ekman is they write for the lay person. They don't write for the science person. Mm-hmm. So when you read an Ekman book, even though he's one of Time Magazine's you know, 50 most well-known psychologists in history, you don't read his book and go, I don't understand a word you just said. You read it and go, I get that. It makes sense. And the same with Cialdini. It's like you're sitting with your uncle having a chat about something super amazing. And I'm like, that's my mind. That's what I want. I want that. I want to take this collection of sciences and and art and put it all together and then give it to a person who knows nothing about social engineering and say, you can do this. Anyone can do this. Go out and do it and just be a better person. And Cialdini even wrote about the structure of how he did that because he discovered that when he was writing at the university, he was writing in a highfalutin manner. Yeah. I'll I'll get the technical term. But then when he wrote at home, his yeah. mindset was towards the general person. So he actually shifted and rewrote everything. So I, I didn't know yeah. if you knew that. I think he talked about persuasion on how he did it with yeah. um, influence, but that's completely fascinating. Yeah, it was. It was. Um, so I, I, I had a, the privilege of having him on my podcast. Yes, I know. And, um, <laughs> and when, when he came on, we talked about um, so many things before, after, during the show, and that's one of the things he mentioned to me because I had told him what I loved about his book was that I can read it and I didn't feel like I needed a college degree to understand it. Right. And he told me that every time he hears that compliment is one of the most validating because for him it was it was his goal. It was what he wanted. So when 
I started this process of writing this new book. I said that to my guys. This is what I want. I want people to read it and not go, I needed a thesaurus to understand this thing, or I didn't get the concept because it was so up here. I want it to be made for people like me who are just very simple. We're not highly educated. I don't have a huge degree. I'm not a scientist. I'm not a researcher. I'm just a guy who loves to hack people and, you know, just want to go out and do it and have fun and, you know, help other people do the same thing. So this, this is, uh, I'm hoping, well, you can tell me in 2021 when it comes out, if I accomplish that goal or not. <laughs> well, uh, your current one's good. And thank you. You mentioned that you didn't want to read the first one. I think that you might've tightened it down just going by the hours of the audiobook. Yeah. So the, um, the, the first one I, I did, a, you know, there's a couple mistakes I made in it, some, some author related mistakes, but I also quoted some, um, unscientific research and, um, and there, and I, and I was new to the industry. So you could right. feel that in the book, the, the, the latest one, which is a rewrite of the first one, so much more science in it. I, I backed everything up. I said with a scientific research, um, I, I had, um, people I trust like Joe, like Paul, like Robin read sections where I talked about their work and said, can you tell me if I hit it right? Um, you know, I, 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 I backed everything up with actual real experience and stories from those experiences. So I feel like the, the, the fourth one that, that newest book is, is really the, um, like if you're getting into the field, you want to learn about SE, that's the one to go to because it, it's, it's got 11 years all packed into those pages. Well, and it, it definitely helped. And um, the interviews you had helped solidify everything yeah. as well. Thank you. Thank you. Well, now I'm putting this out there and I put it out to other people. Love to see if you'd want to come back on. I think you saw the uh, Chase Hughes. I did a yeah. live stream with him. And the idea of the live stream is that I put you out and my audience and your audience can both Would join love to do that. ask questions in the chat. That would be great. Okay. Well, love to set that up and yep. put a pin in that for the future. Yeah, let's set that up. Just email me and we'll get some dates and we can make it happen. Fabulous. Now, for now, everyone can reach you at social-engineer, and that dash kills me, dude. I got to tell you. Um, .com and .org. Yep. You're both dual yep. identity. Yep. And thank you so much for coming on. You are welcome. Thank you for having me. This was good. And thanks for being patient with my technical difficulties. <laughs> Wasn't Chris fantastic? He's a true legend in the field. And speaking of legends, be sure to check out the YouTube channel again. Find me, Eric Hundley. And Chris himself may be coming on where you can ask questions of him in the live stream. And other legends coming up include the Behavior Panel, who includes four former guests of this show. Scott Rouse, Chase Hughes, Mark Bowden, and Greg Hartley. It's an amazing bunch, and I think you will enjoy it very much. And before I go, I want to give a shout-out to a good friend of the show, Chris Lockhead. Chris Lockhead is doing a Podstorm, which is a podcast every day for 30 days. So look him up, Lockhead on Marketing. I think you will really enjoy it. And I want to give another shout-out to my friend Brett Allen, who is putting on a conference it is called Book Your Dream Guest, and yours truly is going to be presenting at it this coming weekend. Look up Brett Allen online on all the socials, and that's Brett, B-R-E-T-T, -T, Allen, A-L-L-A-N.